We live in a time of great anxiety over the role of truth in public life. Media and popular culture are saturated with concerns over fake news, alternative facts, and conspiracy theories. There is a widespread concern over the breakdown of integrity, honesty, and trust in public figures and the so-called experts. There's an increased difficulty of distinguishing between true and false claims and the increasing willingness of predators to take advantage of this confusion. There's been a widespread abandoning of the idea of universal or absolute truth from numerous segments of the culture. Secular relativists, New Age, neo-pagan, and postmodern thinkers all assault by argument or by accusation those who claim any certainty about truth. On the one hand, there are plenty of people who live their lives passionately defending their absolutes that reflect personal bias and opinion-level assertions. Meanwhile, truths that can be defended rationally are hypocritically ignored. But maybe the number of people who believe in absolutes over relativism gravitating towards a code of some sort might actually be growing. In this episode of Keep It 100, we will carry on this critical conversation on absolutes, ultimate truth, and have a guest interview with prophetic voice and critical thinker Katia Adams. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. What's going on, all our peoples? Come on. We are so excited for this episode because we are continuing the conversation about absolutes. But before we dive into that really critical conversation, I want to talk about where we've been the last couple of weeks. Yes. Last couple of weeks, I got a chance to go up to the Pacific Northwest, Woo-woo. your home stomping grounds. Come on. Love the Northwest. P-N-W. Oh, my. And got a chance to do a men's conference. And boy, it was awesome. There was Yes. A thousand men that showed up. They were from all over the Pacific Northwest. I think it was Oregon, Washington, even some from Idaho. Awesome. And there were healings. Uh, men hit the altar. They were weeping. They were on their face. But I just, the, probably one of the most exciting things, we, we had one service, we probably, well, we probably had 50 guys dedicate their life to Christ. And I love it when men hit the altar because I know they represent families, they, their dads, their husbands, their influencers, as well as women are, of course. But the other thing is we probably had at least that many baptized and Holy Ghost speaking in tongues for the first time and to know they went back like ignited for God it was amazing that's incredible you know you're so right when a man gets changed a family gets changed it's just like when a woman it's like when that matriarch or that patriarch of the family has an encounter with God it really changes the course of a family so to see those 50 men respond is everything yes and it was a coast to coast thing because from there I went to Virginia and I did the Vanguard Ministries leadership so Vanguard is a is a movement that people could come and get licensed with so they have ministers and ministry uh, like a lot of chaplains, people that do prison, people that are, do the pastor military folks, but even some apostles from overseas. I ran into one guy from South Africa. So it's so awesome to minister to them. I was just with them for one night service, but they were healings and God was so gracious to give accurate words of knowledge over leaders. And I love to just influence leaders. We both share that heart. You know, when we influence a leader, it's like you're influencing influencers who will influence others. And it was just so mighty to be there. And we, we built relationships we'll be going back. And so it's cool to be there. And then, boo, where did we go? Oh, it was so fun. We got to go down. And actually, I tagged along. Sean was asked to minister at the Southern Pacific Latin American District Council in Los Angeles. So I tagged along and it was so awesome. Like Sean had a translator and we were with these incredible groups of leaders and pastors and they were so hungry for the presence of God and for an encounter with the Lord. I jumped up and supported you at the altar and we saw God really encounter, I believe, um, really some significant moments for some of those pastors 
pastors and leaders. And to be a part of that in a small way really was a privilege because I love what God's doing in the Latin American community. I love the fire, the hunger, and just the zeal for Jesus, the worship, uh, how they went after God. It was really incredible. But we just saw a very personal prophetic ministry released. Uh, Sean had a lot of words of knowledge for healing. We saw people get healed. And it was just a profound night of just the presence of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you prophesied over some couples, some uh, pastors, and they just really got rocked. They got in touch. I know there was an older couple you prophesied over, just amazing they were so the things sweet. that took place. And we made some good friends. And yes. The guy down there that, that is the uh, district superintendent, we made great connection with him. He's yeah. an amazing man of God. Uh, and so we believe that we're going to get an opportunity. They said, we want to have you back. So we love that. We were able to bring our Spanish version of I Am Your Sign. Oh, some of you don't fun. know that our my book I've written on revival uh, is in Spanish as well. And you can get that online, shameless plug on Kindle. Uh, but it was so cool because we, we got a chance to share that and give that away. And some people bought it. So it was amazing. Oh, it really was. You know, this last couple of weeks, we really had some really sobering and tragic events happen in our yes, nation that we yes. really want to address. You know, we all know that on May 14th, a racist attack at a Buffalo, New York supermarket snatched the lives of 10 people and left three more injured. It was the deadliest mass shooting of this year in the United States until 10 days later, another gunman targeted a fourth grade class at an elementary school. We all know this in uh, U- Uvalde, yep. Texas, killing 21 people, two adults and 19 children. It was the mm-hmm. deadliest shooting in America since Sandy Hook. And days after the massacre in Texas this past Memorial Day weekend, the U.S. was marked by yet another more mass shootings. And there was a total of 14 incidents. We have already experienced approximately 250 mass shootings so far. And we have to understand a mass shooting, the definition of that real quick so people are tracking, is that's when there is four or more victims. And this is averaged out. If you average out 250 mass shootings in America so far, we're talking about 10 a week. Each time a high profile mass shooting happens in America, a grieving and, and a grieving nation scrambles for answers asking the question, why? You know, we're all going, why, why, right. why? Yeah. And the United States is an outlier in the level of gun gun violence it tolerates. The rate and severity of mass shootings is without parallel, meaning no other country in the world is at the same level of mass shootings that we see in America. No other nation in the world outside of, get this, conflict zones, war zones. 22% of all firearm transfers in the U.S. do not involve a background check. Can you believe that? They do not involve wow. a background check. They, they, they take place over the internet at gun shows, at brokered maybe through a friend of a friend exchanges. And some states require background checks for all transfer of firearms, but most states do not. And the federal government does not. This is this is tragic. And obviously something has to ch- change. Yeah. Uh, when I heard about these incidences you're describing, it was it was literally no words. Cannot, cannot even imagine. Absolutely. Obviously our prayers and our hearts go out. And, and when you look at that, I think we first have to acknowledge because you, again, the people are scrambling for the why. As you said, we're grieving. Uh, we're incredulous over this. We're, we're scrambling for answers. Why? And I think we first have got to acknowledge the forces we're living with at this moment. Uh, there's been a pandemic for more than two years. Our society is already experiencing the crisis of mental health of epic proportions. Uh, we're seeing and have experienced civil unrest, 
even the Surgeon General has issued an advisory to back this up on the area of health crisis. I think the bottom line is that we feel helpless, we feel unstable, and we've become unhinged. And the challenge is this, because when you talk about these things, I've seen it tweeted, it's trended, more people are asking on social media and people I've talked to, how do we stop this? Everyone. It's funny because right now there's even bipartisan support to how do we stop this? And I think the challenge is this, our American culture often prizes individual liberty above the collective needs. But understand this, Keep It 100 Tribe, kingdom people have to operate differently. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it. It's controversial. You can't put the Second Amendment ahead of the Fifth Commandment. Ooh, Obviously, the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. And I don't I don't think that that should be repealed. I think it needs to be regulated and there needs to be restrictions and new background checks, all of the above. But the Fifth Commandment says, thou shall not kill. So again, you can't put the Second Amendment ahead of the Fifth Commandment if you're a kingdom person. Because as ultimately as humans, we're created to care about others, not to turn away and turn a blind eye to what's going on. As human beings created in the image of God, we're born for meaning. We're born for compassion. And we have to love the preciousness of human life more than we love our guns. You know, the overwhelming response of these shootings really is proof that as a nation, we gravitate toward absolutes. True. And in this episode of Keep It 100, we are continuing this critical conversation about absolutes, which we are titling this week's Truth is the New Gravity. You know, our society is handing out car keys, telling people to create their own road rules, quote unquote, and inviting, you know, them to do as they please so long as it doesn't offend anyone else. And our children are being taught that truth is relative and what is wrong for one person is not necessarily wrong for someone else. They're being invited and actually, let's be honest, encouraged to accept all versions of the truth as equal, thus making absolute truth, even the Bible, one of the few things in our society that's absolutely intolerable. Wow, that is just so profound. And I love what you said, that the overwhelming response, as you said, to these shootings is that we gravitate towards absolutes. In other words, I haven't heard anyone as a result of these mass shootings go, hey, I'm kind of ambivalent. I'm exactly. kind of neutral. We're all saying that's wrong. Exactly. And We're that's all... actually a good thing. It is. And it's it's reinforcing the actual fundamental belief there is right and there is wrong. And we cannot stray from that. We all recognize how evil and demonic mass shootings are and how evil and demonic to take innocent people's lives. That is wrong. It's inarguable. Yes. And here we come back to that conversation. If that's inarguable, if that is evil, if that is an absolute wrong thing, which we all collectively agree, then we have to understand the absolutes do exist and have to be accepted as such. And I think our challenge as believers and kingdom people is we're pro-life uh, while the baby's in the womb. We have to be pro-life when the baby gets out of the womb. Come on, say it. And that may mean the scaling back of certain things that we feel like we have our amendments and our call to go toward. And another way to, rem- I feel like just to kind of phrase it is we are pro-life from womb to tomb. That's it. You know, and really understanding we believe in life all the way through. That's right. Hey, keep it on a tribe. We want to kind of tackle in our main content. What is the problem with abolishing absolutes? You've heard us talk about absolutes last episode, now this episode, and even right now how people are making absolute judgment on what is taking place. And we 100% agree with it. Mass murders or individual killings is wrong. And although 90% of Americans believe in God, that, that could be questionable, but that's the statistic they give us. Although more than 90% say they believe in God, the great majority of people refuse to believe in absolutes, which we established last episode. If you've not listened to it, go listen to it. 
you cannot believe in God and not believe in absolutes. Uh, within the church, we see that there's an erosion of truth as well, with about half of those who describe themselves as born-again believers, yet they say they're no absolutes. And among many of the 30 and under, even the mention of truth or absolutes often produces a negative reaction, underscoring the fact that our current narrative as a fallen world and our culture is actually driving home a narrative that if you believe in absolute truths, then you are whatever it is, uber this, uber that. But the truth be told, we're being kingdom. You know, and that's why we really have to emphasize once again, why absolutes are so vital for us. For some of you listening today, you might have that negative reaction. And I really want to just reestablish the importance of absolutes and why we need them. You know, we really have to understand that absolutes actually create order and stability for a civilized society. Come on. It's a level playing field of acceptable behavior for all of us. So no one can arbitrarily make up, you know, just their own rules like, oh, I'm just going to take my ball home and I don't want to play anymore and rewrite the script according to their story, their mood, their vices for that day, their opinions, their preferences or persuasion. Say that. No, no, we have to imagine if there were no absolutes in road laws. So <laughs> what if, you know, let's just imagine that you're driving down the road. What happens if it's quote unquote right for me to ignore traffic lights today, even if they're red? Well, then I'd be putting lives at risk. And what might be quote unquote right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. While on the surface, that type of relativism seems to be, you know, appealing. We're like, I like that. It feels good. It feels right. It feels tolerable. It feels inclusive. Well, what it actually means is that everybody sets their own rules to live by and, and do what he or she thinks is right. But inevitably, one person's sense of right will soon clash with one other person's set of right. The two will not meet in the middle. There will always be a clashing because everyone's self-interest goes above the other person's safety. You know, I never thought about that. You're, you're right. If you take out absolutes, there's going to be wars. There's going to be chaos. fights. It's going to be absolute chaos. That's true. And I also would say that there's another problem when you throw out absolutes. And, and, and basically, first of all, the person that says there are no absolutes, uh, here's the problem with them saying that, is that you are in the process of what is called by people that understand logic in self-contradiction. In other words, to say there is no absolute, that is a truth claim that you're making absolutely. So if you say there is no absolute truth, you just disavowed the fact because you found the one exception. So if there was no absolute truth, you just made an absolute truth by saying there is no absolute truth. So here's the problem. There are actually other several logical problems that you must overcome to believe there are no absolutes or universal truth. Uh, one is simply this. If I can say this, if there's a person out there who says there's no absolute truth, they're not qualified to make that statement. What, what, do I, what do I mean by that is that as humans, we have limited knowledge and finite minds. I think it was a Russian study that said we use like maybe 10% of our brain and that's if we're the genius. And therefore, we cannot logically make absolute negative statements that are universal like that. In other words, a person can't logically say there is no God because in order to make such a statement, they would need to have absolute knowledge of the entire universe from the beginning to the end. In other words, you're not qualified to make that judgment. And also, I would say, if there is no such thing as absolute truth, then there is nothing ultimately right or wrong about anything, right? Right. Because if you try to go in life without this notion of absolute truth, you're unable to take an authentic moral action, right? You can't consistently fight injustices, whether it's slavery, genocide, social inequality, unless one believes them to be absolutely a virtue and not just relatively wrong, it is at that point in time that you realize that it is untenable is, is kind of the term, that you can't stand on the fact there is no uh, absolute truth. If we we're to believe in certain fundamental human rights applicable to all people everywhere, we have to believe that they are absolutely true. You know, that is so well said. And I love what you just shared. And I would just continue to add to that. If we remove absolute 
absolute truth, then we're really move, removing the basis for justice altogether. Say that. Come on. If we say that we want everyone to decide what's right and wrong, then we're saying that we should not be able to enforce rules that protect and bring justice to people. In such a, a society that has such a bent toward justice, this really has to catch capture people's attention right now. Because if you do not believe in absolutes, then you actually can't believe in justice. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. If you don't believe in absolutes, then you actually can't believe in justice because there is no right and wrong. In order for justice to be executed, an absolute must be in place. Three snaps. So if there's no absolute truth, no standard of right and wrong, then th that we're all accountable to, then we can never be sure of anything. People would be free to do whatever they want, murder, rape, steal, lie, cheat, genocides, whatever, right? And no one could say those are wrong. So there could not even be a government if there was no absolute truth, no laws, no justice, because no one could even say that the majority of the people have the right to make and enforce standards upon the minority of the people. So a world without absolutes would be honestly the most horrible world imaginable because it would be sheer chaos. So true. And in other words, you can't be a social relativist and be about social justice. That's Ooh. what you're saying. Ooh, that is so what we're saying. I would say another thing is understand this. Truth is gravity. Truth is not only truth when others are looking or when our culture has finally made a decision about what truth is. Truth is gravity. Nobody creates gravity. Our belief in it does not validate it, nor does our rejection of it invalidate it. It just is and is connected in truth intrinsically with the way God created. So when we say nobody created gravity, I mean nobody on earth creates gravity. And that's what truth is. Your truth pulls you in the direction of its source. So I'm saying kind of your truth, quote unquote, not in terms of we know Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and life, but it is true. It's a principle. Your truth is pulling you in the direction of its source. It has a gravitational draw. God's absolute truth pulls you towards freedom. The world's kind of lower truth, which really is an absolute truth, is relative truth, leads you towards bondage. God God's absolute truth pulls you towards your true identity. The world's fallen, limited, relative truth pulls you into a distortion of who you're created to be because freedom comes from truth. And our culture is led to believe just the opposite. They, they want to tell you, throw out absolutes and people will be free. But we're establishing the point that if you throw out truth, that is the worst prison you can throw a society in. Hmm. You know, let me give you some truth on freedom. Freedom is not the absence of restriction or constraint. Chaos is. Ooh. Freedom comes from submission to truth, not getting away from it. Come on. Freedom is the presence of the right restrictions in accordance with the truth. And just because your culture approves it doesn't mean God has authorized it. If you don't have absolutes, then trends will guide you. Trends are not truth. I'm going to start calling you butter because you're on a roll right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and you know what? If you don't know the truth, keep it 100 listener, keep it 100 try. If you don't know the truth, then you don't know when you're falling for a lie Ooh. because the truth is what protects you from a lie. Having said that right now. We're super excited for you. Keep it 100 because we're going to right now go into an interview with Katia Adams and she is an amazing, her and her husband are amazing church planters and prophetic voices in Boston, originally from South Africa. Check out this interview. Keep it 100 tribe, get ready because I'm about to have a powerful conversation with one of my favorite people, Katia Adams. And for some of you that may not know, Katia is director of Frequency and senior pastor of the Table Church in Boston. Uh, she was born in the Middle East and has inherited a legacy of revival, which we're going to hear about. And I love this story. Grandparents and her parents who are actually leading pioneers of the modern day church in Iran. In addition to being a preacher, pastor, and international speaker, she's also a medical doctor. So basically people, she's genius. She's wife to Julian, two children, and then she released a powerful book called Equal. But Katya, welcome. So excited you're here today. Of course. Thank you so much.
much for having me. I feel very trusted to be on this. Hey, <laughs> you are trusted. Your voice is sound. And I love what God's doing with you. And, and on the Keep It 100 podcast, we love people's origin stories. And we love to understand how people got to where they're at. And just tell us a little bit about your story to help us get to know you a little bit. Sure. Well, yes, this is going to be the condensed <laughs> yeah. version for sure. But, um, you know, I right from early childhood, I developed a relationship with Jesus. I was kind of probably six or seven and starting to get caught up in dreaming about living my whole life, being involved in churches. You know, some kids dream of being a ballerina or a rock star or a sports star. I would literally be playing games around wow. preaching and leading church and kind of games around that. That was kind of all that I was um, really caught up in as passion. And as I grew older and the more God confirmed in different ways, I woke up the fact that often God's calling is found in the dreams that he sows in us. Oh, good. That's kind of how I grew into finding myself more and more in context where I was awake in reality. God made me this. He made me for the church. He made me to help shape and build and establish communities. So yeah, I was just to say I was born in Iran, grew up in England, studied in England. And then when I met and married my husband, Julian, we moved to South Africa and were there for a few years. But it was while we were in South Africa that God really started speaking about moving to Boston and starting to help establish church in, in the States. There's so much that God is doing in the United States already. And one of the things that I say whenever I talk about church planting, and so many people said to us about Boston, oh, don't go there. It's so hard. Come not on. much is happening in the kingdom. That's just not true at all. God is doing so much beneath the surface here. And there's very much a silent revival under the surface. And then we came to plant the table. And it's been a wild ride. We've been here for two years. So, you know, planted church in the middle of a global pandemic seemed like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. <laughs> That's the thing. I love what God's doing with you guys. I want to find out a little bit more about your church. With the table, you guys have a lot of young professionals, college student age group within your church, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So the average age is late 20s, I would imagine. Um, So Julian and I, we are definitely the kind of older crowd, which honestly, that's not where I'm used to being. <laughs> but even that for me is really a sign of what God is doing in this city. Absolutely. Because there's no such thing as a generation who's kind of post God. These are young people who are yuck, so hungry for Jesus. I'm having conversations on a daily basis with mm. people who are really open to the gospel and open to the supernatural. And really being in Boston has been such a joy to see God is, like you said, he's waking people up. People are hungry. Hearts are open. And one of the um, words that we were given just before we planted the church, COVID had already started. There were, you know, all of that was already happening. And in the May of 2020, when we moved to Park Church, we were given a verse from the book of Genesis where Isaac is told by God to plant seed in famine. And before that, Isaac's, the famine is broken out and Isaac's experience from before, because this is what his father did, would be to go to Egypt, wait out the famine somewhere else, you know, move to Texas, move out somewhere else in the famine of whatever we think. But God says to him, no, don't do what would essentially be reasonable from worldly standards uh, to what's reasonable in my kingdom, which is sow the seed in the famine. Might seem crazy to everybody else, but of course he does it and he reaps a hundredfold. That was the promise to us, that we'd be moving in the midst of it, that we'd be going to a city, both of which really in many people's mindsets are a famine for the gospel. God's like, don't treat it as that. Sow your seed and I'll be faithful. And we're just so aware that God is moving. If only we'll wake up as Christians to that, we'll have the front row seats to see him do the things that he wants to do. Beautiful. So well said.
said. And because of who you are, I want you to speak to that. And I want you to define what's absolute truth and why it's so imperative and why we need to understand it today. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge conversation, isn't it? And I I love that you guys are doing this because it's so needed right now. Uh, We're living in a world, as you say, in a whatever world, I think that's genius. I, I think the tragedy is that that's increasingly encroaching in church culture. And that's where you're seeing a level of devastation coming because as we lose a sense of the absolutes, it, it really becomes whatever I want faith to be for me. And that's just where everything crumbles. Because I wasn't made to be the one who dictates what all of this stuff should look like. I was the one who was designed as a human being to receive what God says things should look like. And I think in the church, there's increasingly a wave where we're, we're trying to do it the other way around, where we become the definers rather than those who are created to receive. And that's where the problems start. Yeah, let's let's start kind of with a thought on what is absolute truth. Ultimately, the Bible tells us that the highest form of truth isn't an idea. He's a person. That truth is found in the person of Jesus. And one of the big issues with messing around with absolute truths is that we're not messing around with the philosophy. We're trying to redefine a personality. We're trying to redefine the character of God as if that's our prerogative. Because again, truth isn't primarily an idea or a philosophy. He is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And he gets to define for us who he is. He gets to introduce himself to us. And we're the ones who receive that introduction. And so for me, part of the issue around being Christians who start trying to redefine the parameters of truth as laid out in scripture and as expressed and demonstrated in the life of Jesus is that uh, we effectively choose to take Jesus off the throne and choose to put ourselves on that throne. That's effectively what it means to redefine absolute Wow. It's saying, I become the king of these ideas. I become the king of these thoughts and, you know, mini truths. I get to define them. Well, the only person who gets to define anything in that way so that it encroaches on everything else is God. And so there, there is an inherent problem yes. with being people who believe in God, trying to dethrone him in our hearts. It, it's, it's a paradox. These are mutually exclusive things, which so is good. why there's the, I have no problem at all with being people who who ask questions. I believe God invites questions. He loves questions. He loves curiosity. We see Jesus responding to questions again and again. So this isn't about believers who are struggling and are asking questions. This is about believers who are wanting to dethrone Jesus, who will ask questions at any cost, and who ultimately want to land somewhere that really makes them feel comfortable rather than allowing themselves to be shaped by God himself. And I've been saying to our guys over the last season, and actually I was just in a church, traveled to a church elsewhere and was preaching on this on Sunday around, I'm a big fan of home renovation shows. <laughs> Sometimes when you're watching shows like this, and I'm sure you'll be familiar if you have watched them, of um, you get two different clients in shows like this. You get the tech client who, you know, they've tried to reno their own house. They've wrecked it. They recognize they have no capacity to fix the holes that they've created. They invite in the designers and they are open and willing to learn from the designer, to, to give over the control to the designer. Those kind of clients are the best because the outcome there is by far the most beautiful. You're watching the show with ease. Then there's the other kind of client who's made a wreck <laughs> of their house and who says that they want the designer to come in and help them. Mm. And then the designer comes in to help them and the client keeps saying, no, I don't like that. No, I don't want it that way. I want to do it this way. And you're kind of screaming at the TV by the end of it because it's so annoying to watch. And you're thinking,
mean, why on earth did you invite an expert when you haven't surrendered your heart to the fact that you are not the expert? And I feel like this is rife in the church today. When we're talking about absolute truths, we are human beings who have wrecked our house and we are inviting Jesus, the designer. And we're saying to him, you're the expert, please come in. And for those of us who want to flourish, we have to surrender ourselves to the fact that I am not the expert. He is. I don't know how to build myself. He does. Do I understand it all? No. A friend of mine used to say, in other words, my application to the Trinity has been denied. Yes, we're not going to understand it all. That makes him God and us not God. But the point is, there is this really pivotal moment for us where we have to say, I surrender my heart to the fact that I am not the expert. I love it. And then he has full design permission. Or we can be the sort of client who say we want God, who say, design expert, come in. And then we refuse to allow the expert the room to do what only the expert can do. And we walk away with what is still broken. But because the real reason of that isn't that the expert didn't know what they were doing. The real reason of that is we never surrendered ourselves to the reality that we're not the expert, that I need to have a hands-off approach. And so maybe this is a more kind of pictorial version of what absolute truths are. Need them. But I think ultimately the basis of absolute truths or wanting to allow absolute truths to define us is ultimately us saying, I'm not the expert he is, and I will allow scripture to shape me rather than approach scripture as if I get to shape it. That's ultimately what what I think the invitation before us is. Love it. You made such a perfect picture of the power of surrender and allowing him to create within us a path and a foundation that doesn't happen if you're fighting it the whole time. And I love that you just qualified and also brought balance to this conversation because I think it's so important. God loves questions. This is not addressing the person or in no way calling out the person and which has questions or in that process. It's I think there's really healthy questions we need to be asking. I think God wants relationship and relationship is conversation. Relationship is questions. And so, you know, what are some of the challenges of adhering to absolute truth in this generation? And what I love is you said this one quote, you can't treat the word of God like a recipe suggestion. I want you to expand on that because I think that is so critical. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is the reality of the culture that we're living in has very much chipped away at any semblance of truth. You know, we're constantly hearing my truth, your truth, as if that's an option. And honestly, I mean, the logical endpoint of those things is untenable. You don't have to be a person of faith to recognize that. But I think there is this combination in, in the world today that has been a systematic chipping away at truth joined with a real sowing of fear to speak against that. Uh, and this isn't a, about a conversation about faith primarily right now, but uh, you see it that in, maybe I'm more aware of it because of my medical background too, but just in, in bodies of research and science scientists, there's such a silencing of conversations that would ordinarily be okay to have because that's how science works. But actually there's such a silencing in communities that primarily would be communities that ask good questions and keep pushing hypothesis. But what's happening right now is that there's such a fear mongering to any who will not adopt this kind of broad statement that anything goes, that everything is true as long as I say it is. And so I think this might be really one of the first times in history where we're at this juncture of this combination of both the systematic robbing of truth and a very hardline 
aggressive sowing of fear towards anyone who will who will dare question that truth. You know what? I want to retract something there because I said that this might be one of the first times in history, but there is an element of me that wonders if for every juncture in history, the church kind of, we, we claim that this is a really unique moment. I think it makes us feel better for, for the stuff that we're not getting right. <laughs> no, no, this is no, no person in history has ever faced this. And therefore that's why we're not mm. seeing the fruit that one maybe. And, you know, I obviously alluded to it just now, but I actually wonder if that's me falling into a trap that isn't necessarily the case at all. I do wonder if, if at every juncture of history, there's a complication for the church and a difficulty and a challenge. And one of the ways, one of the things that I'm trying to encourage our community at is we can get so culture focused that it can sap us of courage uh, because it can be so aware of the huge issues, so aware of the complexities. Um, but I think, and obviously we don't want to be in denial of culture. We don't want to live alienated from everything. But when I see Jesus, he was so overwhelmingly fixated on his father and what he saw his father doing. And all of that then applied in a way that was able to be received in the culture of his day. He was speaking language that would be able to be received. But, but I think his focus was of what was happening in the heavenly realm and then relating that back to culture. And what I think is probably one of the biggest challenges of the church today is that we we have to reclaim our focus uh, to our Father. We have to reclaim our focus, what is happening in heavenly realm. We have to reclaim our focus uh, to be that beautiful verse, fix your eyes on things above, right? It's not even just saying, just look at Jesus, but it's fix your eyes, get your heart and mind fixated on everything in the heavenly realm. So good. Jesus at the center of that, of course. Then we'll have answers and solutions. But I think our starting point has to be the right starting point. If not, you're trying to work upside down. Yeah. Your perspective is way off. I think the battle over our focus is right now. And we have so much fighting for our narrative in our culture. And there's a sway in the narrative that's coming through culture that if we're not intentional of keeping our gaze upon the Lord, because yes, we, we want to have a pulse because like Jesus, we want to affect culture. We want to influence culture. But it really is that truth of being in the world, but not of it. That is displayed in our lives through the ability that our gaze is locked in on heaven because that is the place in which we find absolute truth is through our gaze. And I think you're hitting it. I want to jump into this last question for you. What is your advice to those in deconstruction and why do we need discernment? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a big issue for us today. And, and I want to say that I, I want to approach this with a huge amount of passion. Uh, my answer is very much from a place of, I know what it feels like to weep before the Lord and say, I don't get what you're doing. I know what it feels like far too often to have questions and doubts of my own. But there are some things that are immovable for me that have become immovable because I've seen too much of God to allow these things to become movable. <laughs> and so the immovable things, the parameters for me are that God is good. That is an immovable parameter, whether I feel it or not, whether I have weighed up a situation and thought that that's the most reasonable kind of way to look at it or not. Regardless, my immovable parameter is always that God is good. And so when I come to questions, I'm keeping myself without within that parameter. And the reason I think that's important is in that context, I can ask all the questions in the world, but I have understood that there's a level of safety in asking because he is good. If you take those parameters out, then you are in a context where it's, it is just wild wilderness. And now you are constructing whatever parameters you think or come to mind. You end up leaving your 
yourself in dangerous ground because you are ad hoc building a thought system that cannot sustain you for the long term. And here's, here's I think, one of the challenges of deconstruction. And I, I, I ask myself this in every context. So I think this is wider than deconstruction. But really, I think it's important for us to ask as we approach anything, what is the thing that is most motivating me in this moment? What is the thing that is driving me on and pushing me on here? Because I think the more I talk to people who really would identify as people who are deconstructing, right? That you've taken on that almost identity, that persona of someone who's deconstructing. Well, I have many conversations around this, but a common thread is often hurt and disappointment and offense. I know what it feels like to be hurt in faith. I know what it feels like to be disappointed with God. And I know what it feels like to be offended with God. I've been in all of those places. The thing is, all three of those things are incredibly dangerous drivers. It's like getting in a car with someone who you know is drunk out of their brains and entrusting your life to that person to drive you somewhere. You wouldn't. You wouldn't unless you were in an unhealthy space uh, because you recognize this person is not qualified to drive this car. This person does not have the clear thinking to drive this. And I feel like in, in the questions that we're asking in the deconstruction moment that we're in, many of us are handing over the wheel of our heart and our mind to effectively a drunk driver. Hurt is not a good driver. Offense is not a good driver. Disappointment will only drive you off a cliff. The reason being, in none of those is there safety and clarity of thought. But there's a woundedness that is driving that whole thing that will not allow you to think clearly. And so uh, for myself, when I'm in those moments, what I'm really asking myself is, what do I need to do to, to see my heart heal? Before I think of anything else, like this is not the context for me to question all the big building blocks of life. I can do that. It's important to bring deep questions to the things. So good. But in that moment of hurt, that's not the moment to do it. Because the first foundational step is, what do I need to do to see this thing heal? Not to bypass this thing, not to ignore it, not to live in it as if uh, it is a healthy space to live in. But genuinely, what do I need to do? How do I move on in forgiveness? How do I, all the things that I know will bring genuine healing. Once that's done, let's ask the questions again. Because I think in that context and only in that context is the driver now not intoxicated, if that analogy makes sense. And then you know that you're able to think clearly. Then you can ask those questions without offense being your main lens that you're looking through everything. I just, I love that perspective. Okay, as we're wrapping up this episode, I know there's so many people that loved hearing what you shared today and they're gonna wanna hear more from you. So are there any resources that you have and how can people stay in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. So yes, for for women out there who would love kind of feel equipped to use their voices, uh, I developed a course called Her Voice, super simple, uh, Her Voice School. And really it's just a, it's a seven part course where I felt the Lord say to me that um, he, he has created men and women equal, not only just in value, but in authority. But for too long, women have not been invested in. So yeah, if, if you want to um, learn how to use your voice or just feel encouraged in doing that, that school would be a great resource for you. Uh, like you said, my book, Equal, Krista, that's out and is just a look at what the Bible teaches about men and women and authority. And I wrote it specifically with non-scholars in mind. So it is aimed at every Christian, not just the ones who want to kind of delve into academia. And then the website, uh, you can either look at tableboston.com. Um, my teachings are all up on there from our Sunday stream. And there's our kind of wider ministry website, which is frequency.org. And that has wider resources on there. Love it. 
And your resources are rich because of what you guys carry. Katia, thank you so much for taking time to be on the Keep It 100 podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Wow. Wasn't that interview amazing? I just, I love the way she approaches things. I love her critical thinking. I love how she just uh, dissects the word of God and brings it in a very digestible form for people to ponder and contemplate. Yes, I love that. Hey, Keep It 100 tribe, as always, we want to bring you the Keep It 100 takeaways. We want to give you three truths about truth. First of all, I just want to begin by saying, understand Psalms 119, 101 through 102. Write this down. It says, the psalmist, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. I just want to lock in on a couple things. The psalmist says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way. When I think of the word restrained, I think of boundaries. And then he goes on to say, I've restrained my feet from every evil way. In other words, I have boundaries so that I'm not crossing into evil. And he goes on to say that I may keep your word that I've not departed from your judgments. Your judgments are in fact absolute truth. So he's making the connection between boundaries and absolute truth that you have to have boundaries in your life based on truth. So let me give you the first one. The first keep your one hundred takeaway is truth is powerful because truth will keep us secure. When we go outside the boundaries that God has established for us and pursue sinful things, we run the risk of impairing our relationship with God. You end up getting your discerner broke and the consequences from doing that begin to fall upon you in a heavy way because there are consequences when we go outside of the boundaries. There's a spiritual price we pay when we don't establish and maintain good truth boundaries. And what happens is the enemy of your soul will bait a hook with a lie that looks like truth, a worldly view that sounds convincing. And and I've heard that. I think you've heard that. There are people that can tweet something, they can write something, they can release something in a blog, they can say something in a podcast, and it sounds so convincing, sounds so good. You want to click like on it. But then all of a sudden, if you stop and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on truth, you go, wait a second. That thing sounded convincing, but it's just wrapped with just enough so-called truth that you begin to believe the lie and you take the bait only to realize you've swallowed the hook and you may find yourself caught in spiritual bondage and you can't break free. Understand the word of God doesn't change and it gives us all the truth we need to live a full and rewarding life in Christ. God's word is true for all eternity. No baited hooks that are going to lead you to spiritual bondage. We must know the truth and keep the truth of God's word close to our hearts. Oh, that is so good. The second Keep It 100 takeaway this week is truth is powerful because truth keeps us sane. When we go beyond where we're supposed to be, you and I are going to suffer the feelings of anxiety and stress that accompany us going beyond our thresholds. And really that's where God's blessing is, is when we stay in the place of our capacity within God. But God does give us the freedom to choose to live within his boundaries or outside of them. And if we choose to live outside of God's boundaries, that means we're going to have to accept the consequences of that decision. Those consequences can be stress, anxiety at times. It can have have an impact on our mental state, our emotional state, our physical bodies. Many people suffer with physical ailments or diseases because they have pushed themselves beyond the boundaries in which the Lord has created. We have to understand that truth actually keeps us sane. You know, when we actually establish truth, it actually creates markers and boundaries in our lives. And boundaries aren't to push others away. Boundaries are actually here to help hold me together. And without them, we fall apart. We have to understand that God created truth to keep us sane, protected, and intact. Understand that people, I love this quote, it says, understand that people with worn out Bibles seldom have worn out lives. The power of truth will transform your life and will actually create with you a capacity to walk in what God has called you, but also give you the wisdom to not walk down roads the Lord hasn't given you 
permission to. So good. The third truth that is so powerful is truth will keep you strong. Truth builds up your spirit, man, and it constructs a fierce faith, one that can sustain an individual and hold up in the midst of shaky times. And, and even as Krista was mentioning uh, just in the in the point before that there's so much anxiety because truth keeps you sane. I think there's so many of this emerging generation of people in general that have anxiety attacks that, that, that they're statistically saying that there are more young people of this generation have anxiety attacks than ever before. And I think part of it is truth also keeps you strong in addition to keeping you sane. And when you have truth, you have the strength that you need to conquer and occupy spaces God intends for us. And all of a sudden, when you don't have truth, you end up trying to conquer and occupy wrong spaces that God hasn't given you grace for that space. I love what Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentary says, boo. He says, the truth both heals and nourishes the heart who receives it. When you get so truth good. in you, it heals you. Mm-hmm. And you, how many times do you run into wounded people, people that aren't healed? They're looking for someone else to do this and someone else do that. And if you did this, I'd be healed. You came back and did this. I'd be over this. No, no, no. Get to the truth. The truth will bring healing to you and nourish. You don't have to sit back hurt waiting on that other person to come and heal you. They don't have the power to heal you. Only Jesus does. And his word will nourish you and make you strong. And also understand when we cross boundaries with our bodies, come on, Sean, go there. All right. I'm going to shout myself down. When we cross <laughs> boundaries with our bodies and neglect truth and involve ourselves in things like abusing drugs, alcohol, smoking that stuff, sexual activity outside the boundary of marriage, cutting things like bulimia, anorexia, we will suffer physical consequences, but truth will make you strong in those areas. So understand the truth that God gave us in the Ten Commandments is not so that he could punish us. Please hear this. God didn't give the Ten Commandments so he could punish you. Like, okay, I'm going to put out a rule here. So when you break it, I can hit you with a Louisville slugger and lightning bolt. The truth is that God gave you the Ten Commandments, not to control you or punish you, but that you could better know him and experience his protection. The more truth you have, the more power you have over sin. So good. So good. You know, as we close this episode, we've defined to you what an absolute truth is, but the real issue is actually knowing truth. So I just want to close out this episode with these thoughts. What is knowing the truth? Number one, claiming belief is not the same as knowing truth. And number two, knowing the truth is dependent upon really being a disciple of Christ and walking in obedience. The Bible never takes a knee to culture. Culture must take a knee to scripture. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you not want to miss our next episode is we're going to be diving into another topic and there will be some surprises. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100!